Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Rich Allen, Jeremy Smith, and Adam White. It's the final show of the season as the league and campaign has wind down ahead of looking forward to a summer transfer window and the national team try their hardest to qualify for the European Championships. But who is looking to be champions next year and who's going cold turkey? Uh, all of this and more after the latest headlines. The French women's side got their World Cup campaign off to a blockbuster start as they defeated South Korea 4-0 in the opening match of the tournament. A double from Wendy Renard in between strikes from Eugenie Lesormer and the player of the game, Armandie Henri, gave Le Bleu the victory. The male side of the equation follow up their friendly win over Bolivia last weekend with a disappointing 2-0 loss to Turkey in Konya. First half strikes from Khan Ayan and Cengiz Under uh, means the rising side under Senor Gunes uh, remain undefeated and force Le Bleu into second place in the group. In managerial news, uh, Gislain Preton has been named the new manager of Saint-Étienne. The former Bastia coach has been assistant under Jean-Louis Gasset and had the backing of plenty of the playing staff to take the reins. In transfer news, Paris Saint-Germain have confirmed that goalkeeper Jean-Louis Buffon will be leaving this summer after deciding not to renew his contract. And it seems that Didier Deschamps has let the cat out of the bag that Furlon Mendy will be joining Real Madrid later on this summer. And that's all for now. But to keep up to date with all the news in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with the positive for the Labourers teams, and that's the women's team who managed a 4-0 win, the, one of the biggest victories in women's opening match World Cup football. And it's nice for a home World Cup, Jez, for them to get off to a strong start, given that they are one of the favourites for the tournament for the first time and that they've invested well. They've got players that are in big Champions League teams now as well. This feels like a year for them, at least, more than any, that they can get a victory and, and, and come back with a trophy and they got off to the best start they could have possibly done too. Yeah, I mean, France have, have, have got to be seen as one of the favourites at the moment. They've got a really strong team. They've, they've had a, a strong team or a strong squad for, for a while now, but in the last few major tournaments, they've, they've just been found lacking, probably mainly in attack. Um, they've often sort of generally they've gone out in a match where they've dominated their opponent and then just not been able to find the back of the net and just come up short with you know, conceding one goal or, or on penalties. Um, but this time the, the attack looks better as well. They've obviously got that core of seven Leon players who've just come off the, their fourth straight Champions League. So, and, and Diak, I think, has really sort of revitalised the team. You look at some of their their um, sort of set-piece plays and clearly she's really innovating with them. She's got good choices. You know, Valerie Gova has been has been playing up front for, for most of the last couple of years. Um, she she turned up late for training a couple of times this week and so she was dropped. But I, I think that says a lot partly for, for the way that Diak is running the team, which is good, but also for the fact that they now have a little bit of strength and depth. They can afford to drop their their, their main centre forwards for, for the first match. And um, you, know, you look you look at 
France's records, starting tournaments in the past. I think even in '84 they had a slow start. In '98 they 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 were shaky against South Africa. This the men's team, obviously, they were shaky against South Africa, and it took a I think a goal off Dugowie's shoulder to calm the nerves. Even looking at the rugby in 2007, France started terribly against Argentina. So it's sort of a, a in the national character not to start well and to start quite nervously. So for France to 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 have such a, a dominant first game and particularly a dominant start. You know, they, they were rampant, um, certainly the first quarter, basically the whole of the first half, I think the second half they took their foot off the gas a little bit. Hopefully bodes well. I mean, the other way that you can look at it is obviously 84, 88 or 98. Um, last year in 2018 in Russia, the, the men's team started a little bit slower and then, and then kind of revved it up. So maybe you could say you don't want to sort of start too strong you want to build it up and peak but you know certainly no complaints with a 4-0 win against a South Korea side that were meant to be dark horses but France may look very average and yeah going all the way through the team there, there, were, there were some great performances um, as you said Amandine Ori is just I, I think an absolutely superb player and frankly she'd have done a better job than either Pogba or Sissoko on, on Saturday night really. She's also exactly the kind of player that Juninho is looking for for, for Leon's men's team at the moment. She she sets the tone and, and scored the goal of the game but you've got former captain Renard coming up with a couple of goals um, and Bok unlucky not to score with her or to have a goal given with a cracking volley. It just the whole team looked, looked looked good looked in form they what was great was that they they all looked you know with the celebrating with goals with the substitutes they looked to be great spirit in the team as well they certainly got the country behind them i think they had viewing figures of 10 million and then when they went down to nice for, for the next match which is on wednesday there were 500 or people coming to see them in training so i think um you know certainly the the feeling is good in the squad, around the squad, outside the squad, and, and hopefully they can they can keep that up all the way. Yeah, absolutely. And like you mentioned, that <laughs> I think Henri would have been a player that PSG would have even liked to look at, probably better than ninety percent of their centre midfielders last night uh, with their performance at the the weekend. And and Rich, they are pretty strong favourites. There's been some good performances from other some other teams, but they really dispatched South Korea last night. They've got Wendy Renard was absolutely terrific, towering in, in defence. Uh, we all are aware of how good uh, Le Sommer can be on a, on a day, even though she, she grabbed a goal, but wasn't quite at the the tip of her performance. But the factor will come in the later rounds, won't it? I mean, the the, their group is a, a, a other than South Korea, it seemed a, a little bit of a comfortable one to begin with and, and uh, they'll be pretty certain of finishing top but once they reach those knockouts rounds it's then much the proving ground and see if they can emulate the men exactly and i think two things that, that jez touched upon there will be key i think one is that strength in depth you know not not too many teams in this tournament perhaps have the strength um across the entire squad as, as france do um and that i think the second point really is that is that unity within the squad i think having such a huge presence of leon players um you know there's there's probably a risk that there could become a split in the camp of the leon team you know the leon players and then everybody else but i think as we saw and as jez rightly said it with the, with the celebrations and the way they played together is that yes that starting 11 is 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 leon based in the majority but 
they play as a team. And we, you know, we, we correlate that with, you know, back to the, the lead up to the last summer's world cup with the, for the men's team, what Deschamps was, was sort of preaching was, was, was the harmony in the squad that everybody is together, that they are this single unit. And it seems as though that, that philosophy really has, has, has rubbed off and has been carried through by, by Corinne Diakra into this team, because, um, you know, you wouldn't have necessarily looked at that team and thought, you know, oh, you've got seven Leon players. They're only going to play for each other. There's going to be exclusions. There could be rifts. There's you know, there's all that potential when you have, you know, such a huge presence from one single team in a national team. But you couldn't tell. Um, they played, I thought, in quite a, a Leon-esque manner. Really dominant. Um, didn't really let South Korea have a sniff of a chance. Uh, they were ruthless. Um, four was probably going quite easy, I think, on South Korea. It could well have been even more than that. Um, so it, it, it bodes really well. I think the, you know, the next game will be uh, a slightly trickier affair when they when they play uh, Norway in a couple of days' time. That's probably going to be the, the toughest match uh, and will certainly be a bit more of a test for them uh, and, and test their credentials as to, you know, are they really going to be amongst the favourites and can, can they carry on that dominant positive performance. So it, it's as good a start as you could possibly have hoped for for France. So, you know, we just hope for more of the same on uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm pretty certain that they'll be pretty happy that Otto Hegerberg is, is still not a, a Norwegian player internationally, at least anyway, because that would have caused them some real test on Wednesday night. But we wish them all the best and, and do keep an eye on the Women's World Cup here in the UK on BBC and the, the highlights can be found on YouTube on, on FIFA's channel. There's some great stuff happening over there. But let's switch gears to the men now, um, Adam. And um, France got a good win last Saturday, at least. Anyway, it's believed that we didn't really touch on because of our awards, but they followed that up with a pretty dire display against Turkey. I mean, there's a lot of knives out after this one and it seemed like losing Conte and not having him in the side it simply crumbled them unfortunately and, and, and in essence it, it was probably a little bit fair on France that they lost 2-0 because in another day this could have been 3-4 or even 5 to the to the brilliant Turks Yeah, they were, Turkey were really good I think um, you're absolutely right <clears throat> Excuse me, that um, Conte was a, a huge miss really it really underlined how important he is to this team and that as we saw in the World Cup uh, this France side are a little bit functional, perhaps, but they get the job done. And there's a there's a fine line between being functional and and you know having that sort of winning mentality to dropping off in intensity and dropping off in in dynamism and and becoming a little bit turgid, which is really what happened against a really sort of aggressive and um, positive Turkey team uh, in in Konya Sport and or in Konya. Um, and it, it just felt like that. Um, there was such a lack of impetus in this team without without Kante, without the pace of Dembele as well, missing out. Lamar slightly injured on the bench. Perhaps he could have offered a little bit more creativity and it's it's sort of dropped off into that sort of a little bit more slower build-up and unable to break teams down a little bit, lacking creativity. And you're absolutely right, Burak Yilmaz um, had, had a number of chances that he really should have scored 
and it could have been could have been genuinely embarrassing for for Deschamps' team, and it just underlines one the quality in 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 this in in even though this looks like a diff, a pretty easy group for France, there's still games that are going to cause some issues, and that they can't just sleepwalk into the finals. Although you, you that's probably what a lot of French fans would have think when they saw the draw, um, and that there's going to be there's going to be difficult games, and that this, this team has. Although they are World Cup winners, they they still have things to to think about and and improve upon. And there, and also perhaps the, the headline is that there isn't really a replacement for Kante, not just in this French team, to be honest. As you know, as a caveat to that, but in world football, to be honest. But um, they need to find better ways to win without him, uh, and and need to replace what he does, even even if not with a similar player, but with in, in another way, in, in a more imaginative, tactical sort of um, outlook from Deschamps. And it felt like just a little bit of lacking intensity and. and and they, they really sort of, I don't know. I just felt like there's a lot of, a lot of walking and a, and a lot of, a lot of. It's a little, been a long season to be fair to them as well, but I still think there's a, a lot of, um, lacking of energy from the from from Libra. Yeah, that's the funny thing about it. It's it's a it's a it's a long season, but it's a long season for everyone. For everyone, it's yeah. The, <laughs> it's the it's the it's the funny sort of. Um, Double-edged sword on this moment, really. That um, that players have, and the important, the interesting one I thought at the end of this uh, one, Jez, was that the knives were out for a lot of players, but uh, especially Kylian Mbappe, who was really ineffectual throughout and wasn't particularly great against Bolivia either. Do you, do you put that down to the fact that he has played so much football? And it is the end of the season, or was this just a bit of a, a turgid performance from him and from the rest of the team as well? I think there's an element of that, and I think that the, the sort of excuse, if you want, of, of, of it being a long season stands to a point because, um, to be fair, the, I you know, haven't looked at the stats, but you'd assume that the French players have, with European competitions have played more matches than the Turkish players and maybe certainly more intense matches. You know, obviously, people like Loris and Sissoko coming off the, the Champions League final only last week. So maybe there's an element of an excuse there, but um, you know, in Mbappe's case, he is still young. He has basically played the whole season carrying PSG at times when his, his two main striking partners have been have been injured. So uh, you and obviously didn't have much of a break last summer. So I can understand a bit of a drop off, but I think that the issue with him is I'd say it's twofold. First of all, that that I think that that UNFP comment that he made about wanting more responsibility, although that was for PSG rather than France, I think that kind of created a rod for his own back because I think everyone's viewing everything since then in that context. And if, if he has a poor match, it's going to be very easy to kind of use that as a stick to beating with and say, oh, well, you know, you're saying on one hand you're ready for more responsibility and then you come up with performances like this. You're obviously not ready to take that responsibility, which maybe is unfair, but he's the one that kind of created this issue in the first place. And the other one is that um, after the match, Yannick Stoppua, the former French striker, um, made a very good comment saying, well, when I was growing up as a footballer, my first coach said to me, if you're having one of those days where things aren't going right, keep it as simple as possible. Don't try to dribble and beat three men. Look for the simple pass, keep things moving, that kind of thing. And that's exactly the opposite of what Mbappe did. Every time he got the ball, he tried to, to beat the man himself. But so many times there were better options available and he just completely ignored them. And then even on the defensive side, 
Giroud and Griezmann, as usual, were doing the press and Mbappe just wasn't interested. And I think that's that's part of the issue. Again, maybe if Giroud or Griezmann were to have an off day like that, they've sort of got enough history of being real team players that people maybe overlook it just this once kind of thing. But with Mbappe, there is this growing feeling that he's becoming a little bit too selfish, wanting to kind of hoggle the headlines for himself. And I think that that that's going to be a big problem and something that, that needs to be uh kind of that, that Deschamps needs to keep an eye on because it, against Bolivia, he did it as well, got away with it a little bit more because the rest of the team was functioning. But it was it was sort of a glaring issue against Turkey. He he's trying to do it all himself. There was one point he had a great crossing opportunity. He waited for two people to come to him to try to beat them, and then lost the ball straight away. And it's so frustrating. It must be frustrating for his teammates as well. We know how brilliant he is. We know that on a great day he can he can beat a team with single handedly. But that clearly wasn't one of those days. And I, I think you know sometimes he, he needs to learn to kind of wind his neck in at times. And you know he's he's learn all the lessons he's had to face in his career very well so far so I, I hope that this is the next one that he learns but I, I fear a little bit that he's getting slightly too big for his boots at the moment there was quite a good um quote from from Ludovic Abraniak on um RMC after the match which I think pretty much nails that point that, that Jez just made um he said that Mbappe's ultimately still a kid um, he will be a superstar. He's got everything, you know, all the attributes to be a superstar. He'll get to that status. The problem is, is that he sometimes wants that to the detriment of others. Uh, and the, I think the, the the key bit there to 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 sort of tack on to the end of what Jez was saying was, when that happens, you see the irritation, you see the annoyance, and what we've now started to see is he's developed a certain selfishness to his play. Um, so it's. It is something that's starting to become slightly prevalent in, in, in Mbappe's play, both at club and international level. Um, so it's it, it's going to be interesting to see how that gets managed. You know, Deschamps won't have too much issue in terms of telling Mbappe that and managing that. It's a case of can Deschamps get that kind of support for Mbappe at club level? which, you know, I think we can all agree there's probably question marks over to whether that will actually be the case. Mm, yeah, and that's, that's the interesting bit, isn't it? And just the performance overall, it was turgid. Pogba was placing plasters here, there and everywhere, trying to do the Hollywood ball. Griezmann couldn't get into the game. None of the attackers really could. Um, they really struggled. Um, and they just got caught every single time that Turkey came forward. And like you say, if Adam said, if Burr, Yilmaz had one of his better days, really. It's been a long season for him, the the uh, Turkish striker. Then um, it could have been really, really bad for, for France. But the, the funny thing about this European qualification is, A, the reason we're recording before tonight is that they play Andorra tomorrow. And I know <laughs> both my colleagues were mentioning the, uh, the, the Luxembourg result to just remind me that not everything's a foregone conclusion in in international football but it's as close to one as you can find at least anyway and the fact that two go through pretty much automatically means that France can afford results like this now because there is that bit of a cushion for the bigger teams that yes has helped for some of the smaller teams in this qualifying but it um, certainly doesn't hurt the world champions at the moment so we'll see how 
they get on heading into next season. Let's go on to our next topic tonight and we're going back to league because there's plenty of shifting around and managerial changes and transfer rooms but we're going to start with the the former and we talked about it a few times adam on the show about um who santatien will replace jean-louis gasset um at the helm and there was a large feeling that from the players at least anyway that they wanted Gislam Preton as their coach and that is how things have handled out for them uh, there is some, at least from our point of view, question marks about this, despite the player's determination for him and the, and the respect he has, because the last job he had was with a club that was relegated. So there, there's a bit of an interesting point here where players were very much in his camp to get the job, but at the same time, he's questionable whether he's actually up for this Europa League challenge uh, Santa Tien will be on next season. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I think that given the given the players' enthusiasm about Preton, that the board had not necessarily little choice. I mean, you know, they're 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 free to to appoint the manager they they feel is appropriate. But it's it's rare that such you know players will support a potential managerial candidate with such fervor. So I, I really I, I like that they they went with that. I think that's a good sign here for next season because for for a manager in this situation, you know, the the support of the players and having the players on side is 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 50% of the battle and it, it it's because i don't think that Sinetian would have wanted Gasset to retire the way that he did i he's done a, a did an absolutely brilliant job with with the club considering where they were when he took over after that 5-0 defeat and the Julian Sato Leon and the Julian Sabler sort of miniature reign that he had um he it's an unbelievable job and Preton feels like a similar character and a, a similar personality having been his assistant for for um, for that period um there'll be continuity uh, and and you just feel that he would sort of fit the fit the fit the role and and fit the the, the sort of the, the take you know fill his shoes sort of in an emotional sense as well as a as well as a, a sort of sense of continuity that they'll continue doing similar things and you'd hope that this will just sort of roll over into Preton's era and they'll continue to to perform and 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 work in a similar way that they had under under Gasset and that's what the players I imagine that's what the players are thinking given the, the support they've shown for him and that's what the board are thinking as well. But as you said, yeah, Bastia got relegated and and that's really his only um, sort of senior managerial role is, you know, in, in, the, in the hot seat, if you like, from being an assistant for various other teams and, and been at Montpellier for, for a while too. Um, so th- there is a leap of faith being taken here, both by the management and, and by the players, that he is adept tactically enough to, to adapt to situations that will occur in the Europa League, to, to manage his squad over a course of a very long season, which French teams of late have struggled with that Europa League Thursday, Sunday. Although, just as an aside, Thursday Sunday is exactly the same as Wednesday Saturday that you play in the Champions League, so that's a little bit of a, a fallacy to me. But even so, it is an intense um, uh, campaign. So he, he's got questions, of course, but I, I feel like this is the right appointment for for, for the club, and and I I, I I support the players. You know, it's great to see them them coming out and saying this is the guy we want. We really believe in him. So an interesting appointment, but one that has pitfalls. Mm, absolutely, and the the interesting one on this one. Uh, Jez is like we say it's a lot of players came out in the backing of him and and, and admitting they wanted him to stay and that even to some extent in the, the terms of Jan Via saying he would leave if it wasn't Preton in charge now he is um, and those players are staying was that one of the main factors in the point of appointing him in in making sure that this squad stays together as well I think it probably is I think as, as Adam said I think it's sort of one and the same thing that that, that continuity both on the bench and and hopefully with the, the playing staff as well. Um, 
I, I've said before, I think certainly in Villa's case, less so Cabela, because he, he seems like almost an adopted child of Patton going back years. But in Villa's case, considering his career wasn't particularly going anywhere and sat and have kind of revived it a little bit, I think it's pretty pathetic to, to hold the club that, that's, that's saved your career somewhat to ransom like that. But, you know, whatever the reasons, that, that, that definitely has to be a factor. He, he has been one of their, their more important players this season and, and they are about to embark on a, on a tough season trying to, to build on, uh, what was it, fourth, fourth place, I think, and, and um, a, a European campaign in parallel. So it, it makes sense to, to keep your best players and to, to try to keep the consistency of last year and, and then build from it rather than have to start again from scratch, um, certainly in such an important position as sort of um, holding midfielder. So. Um, yeah, I think um, definitely Canton being there means that hopefully players like Villa, like Cabello, maybe Casri as well, um, are going to remain. And, and if they can, they they all had sort of unplayable periods and pretty patchy periods over the season. But if they can like, find the level of consistency and, and the, um, the, the stronger periods that they had last season, if they can maintain that for longer periods next year, then there's no reason why Saint-Étienne can't at the very least match last year and, and hopefully also have a, a great European run. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he follows on and how that team follows on. On to the next appointment for yourself, Rich. We mentioned it briefly before the, the award just uh, last week, but we didn't really actually talk about it because uh, Andre Villas-Boas was confirmed as Marseille manager just before we started. And uh, there was a lot of focus on who actually won our awards last week. But uh, an interesting appointment for Marseille, a man who's been more familiar with the Dakar rally more recently than, than actual footballing terms. So despite his CV, where he had an excellent time in that year at Porto, uh, has been a little bit up and down since then, to to be perfectly honest. And uh, a little one out of left field, given that he is a, certainly a name that a lot of European football will be aware of. But uh, he's been in China as his most recent job, where he, he struggled at Shanghai Shenyu as well. It's... Uh, it's got an interesting appointment for them. Yeah, I think I think there's certainly more safer options they probably could have gone for, and more dare I say it, sensible options they could have gone for. But you know, I guess this is a big summer for Marseille. Um, you know, there's talk that they're needing to sell players, um, uh, uh, and you know, potentially there's going to be three or four of the sort of bigger name players possibly departing. Marseille in the summer so they need someone that can come in and maybe you know if they're limited on what they can spend maybe they're going to have to rely on well you know come and work under this this name this name uh, and Vias Boas you know yeah he's 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 got a name um I, I've said it before um I've no idea if he's actually a decent coach or not um there's there's so much that you know sways you one way or the other but I, I don't know where I lie on whether he's a good coach or not. I really, I really haven't seen enough to determine. You know, were his spells at, uh, at the likes of, of of Chelsea just one-offs and a bit of a blip, or you know, is he was 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 Porto a bit of a fluke? Um, I've no idea. You know, Marseille will be a tough place for him to go, and certainly there are easier places he could have gone to to get back into the swing of of coaching. Um, 
But, you know, if he's given the license and Marseille are able to recruit and finally they're able to recruit sensibly, then, you know what, we've said it before, there's, there's, a, there's a bedrock there at Marseille. You know, you've got a fantastic stadium. You've got the prestige of who Marseille are. You've got probably some of the most passionate supporters uh, in, in all of France. You know, there's, there's a lot going for Marseille. They just need someone that can steer them in the right direction uh, and probably ultimately someone who knows what that right direction actually is. So, you know, if, if Villas-Boas helps them, you know, recruit some, some, you know, some wise, wise players and sensible players in the summer, then it's a good move. I think my, my, my concern is one, obviously he's been out of the game for a while now. And two, he's on an absolutely ridiculously, a ridiculously extortionate salary. Um, with Marseille's finances being relatively restrictive, is that salary eating into any of those expenses? If it is, then that's a, a pretty dumb move, I think, from Marseille. If it isn't, and you know they they've paid him what he needs to be paid to to get him through the door, and he can deliver what obviously they hope he can deliver, then then obviously that's fine. But it's it's a gamble at a time where I'm unsure, not for definite, but I'm unsure whether Marseille need to take a gamble at this point in time. I think maybe would it might have been sensible to to get someone stable in. You know, Garcia was certainly a, a love him or hate him, and certainly towards the end it was very much hate from, from the Marseille fans, but it, it wasn't all on him. You know, he took the brunt, and ultimately he's the one that, that that's lost his job. But those above him carry, you know, just as much responsibility. So it's almost pointless splurging all this money if those at the top still haven't learned their lessons of what's gone wrong over the last two or three seasons. So unless they have, you know, you fear that Vias Boas is just going to be a waste of money. Um so you know you would hope with with the you know the, the likes of people that, that Vias Boas has had to work under during his, his coaching career, you'd like to think he's come in on the proviso, you know, he has more of a say. You know, it was definitely a case that Zuba Zaretta and, and Rudy Garcia didn't see eye to eye. I think that that certainly towards the end of Garcia's time at Marseille became very apparent. So I think it's a case of, of is Vias Boas confident and that he can build a, a working relationship with Zuba Zaretta, or has Vias Boas got the sign off from from ultimately all the way up to to to, you know, to McCourt that he will have a a firm definitive say in their summer business. You know, you would only hope from a Marseille perspective that that's the case. Um, because if it's still left to, you know, those senior bods above the coach, then, you know, you're going to have as a Marseille fan, another season of, of frustration, of disappointment and, and underachieving. So it's, it's a real, real interesting gamble. And who knows? I really don't know what way this is going to go. You know, I want Marseille to be back. I want Marseille to be a great club once again. Um, you know, as much as we joke about it, no one enjoys seeing, you know, such a huge name of French football as Marseille floundering, struggling, you know, frustrated, angry fans in the stands. We don't want to see that. We want to see, you know, Marseille developing that rivalry again with with PSG at the top. So whether Vias Boas is the man to, to get them closer to that target, We'll just have to wait and see. Mm, and it, 
much like Rich says, Adam, it's a, a very interesting appointment. I mean, there was even quotes from AVB a, a, a while ago. I think it was even after the Europa League final with Porto, where he said he only wants to be in coaching for, for 10 years and then drop out to do other interests, which would be 2021, ironically. So but if he might only have the, the two years at, at Marseille. But at the same time, it's, it's, it is a little bit difficult to judge just how good he is at a coach. I mean, he had that sensational year at Porto where he won the treble and, and was undefeated in the league and went to Chelsea and it all went a bit wrong. He had that decent year at Spurs, but it went sour there as well. He won stuff at Zenit, but at a time where real Zenit were really the, still the powerhouse of, of Russian football and he struggled at Shanghai before he's sort of sabbatical. Almost like a, oh, it's, I suppose more would see it as a gap year more than anything in the way the things that he did. But um, it's a little bit difficult to judge exactly how much of a success or a failure would, would be. It's there a... Uh, where do you see him on, sort of on the managerial scale? Is he sort of the the blockbuster appointment they were looking for, or is this a, a name with a risk? I think it's a little bit of both. <clears throat> I think it definitely fits the criteria of a, a minor blockbuster. You know, he is a name. He, he's 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 had success, relative success anyway, in the past. And obviously, that year at Porto was fantastic. Although he had a brilliant team. Um, although I also think that it's it's a it's a sort of a marriage of convenience in that. <clears throat> Marseille need well, not Marseille think they need a big name coach. They think that the, the policy seems to be is that if, if they get a, a big name coach with a reputation, that the the, the performances and the the quality of the football will just simply follow regardless of the team that they have. And it, it feels like this is basically the same appointment as really Garcia. It's very similar. Garcia was arguably more successful than Villas Boas in his career, winning the league with Lille, of course, and did okay at Roma in spells. And so I guess that's probably actually relatively similar. But it just feels like a very, very similar appointment. But I also feel that Redis Boris needs Marseille. Like, I, it's interesting what you say about his career, <clears throat> that he'd only want to do 10 years in coaching and he's approaching the end of that, um, which in itself un- sort of hints at a degree of, of lack of, of desire to, to, to succeed. If, he's, if he is thinking along those lines still, you know, what is he planning on achieving in the next two years with, with Marseille? I know they haven't won a trophy since, what, 2012? So I suppose that would be a sizable achievement. But... Even so, what 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 is he what is he hoping to get out of this other than the the, the huge salary that, that you mentioned that he is on? Um, but <clears throat> assuming that he's he does still have sort of a passionate coaching outlook, that this is this is perhaps the best he could have hoped for, given that the 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 the, the trajectory of his career overall. You, you're right, Dilakay had it, but obviously they were still the come to the best team in 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 Russia at the, that period and kind of went off the off the grid in in China which is what kind of happens to, to players and managers when when they go out there and and I don't know that he could have got a better job in Europe or a bigger club maybe he could have gone to one of the Portuguese big three but then I suppose that uh, that's again a little bit based on his reputation and and, and his nationality of course you know he's he's, he's more, probably more, more well known there and more liked and more highly regarded there after what he did with Porto and Academia um than in other countries but in in general european terms i this is i feel like this is the biggest club he could have got so <clears throat> i think that they, they need each other phyllis boris needs if he does want to revitalize his career he needs a club like marseille to to sort of return him to to sort of their former glories i suppose um and, and marseille are looking for a coach of his stature uh relative stature i suppose to 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 fit in with their policy of find the coach that we think is is good and has a reputation and, and we believe in maybe through slightly flimsy um you know reasons 
to 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 sort of drag this team, which we know isn't isn't particularly laced with quality, and that the bigger players will leave, and we haven't got much resources. Drag them to the to the place where we think will be, and they're sort of putting all their their sort of eggs in that Villasboro's basket, if you like. So there's, I think that it's it sort of falls down on both sides, and and it's really interesting to see how it will play out. For me, I, I think it's actually, it, it's, I can only see it going one way and, and that's almost exactly the same as, as Garcia's reign in that I think he'll probably threaten to do okay and they'll, they'll probably performance will probably pick up. They might even have a purple patch for a, a half a season, two thousand season. But ultimately, this time, 18 months, two years time, I, I, I'd be very surprised if he was still there. Hmm. That's the interesting thing about this one, Jez. And I just want to finish with this question that I know you'll like the sound of. Um, this feels very Marseille, doesn't it? Uh, yes, to an extent. I, they're always kind of in search of a big name. And, and as Adam said, this is probably a bigger name as they're, they're going to get at the moment. But yeah, I, I echo both Adam and Rich's concerns. It's, it, he's more a name than a, a sort of role of honour at the moment. And, and that's the concern. And um, I think I, I often get the impression Marseille fans don't know what they want. Do they want the trophies? Do they want the the great football that, that at least excites the Venadrone crowd? Obviously, ideally, they want both, but realistically, that that hasn't happened for a long time now. You know, the last time they won the title was under Deschamps, playing relatively dour football, and I think a lot of the fans sort of don't really know how they feel about that. I think Villas Boas will probably get them playing good football. But yeah, as, as Adam said, probably in patches, and and I don't think it will be enough for them to to probably even make the podium, or certainly win trophies, and and so then I think we'll, we'll get a better idea what what Marseille are looking for. But I just, yeah, it's, it's 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 hard to say. He's as as they both said he. You can look at some elements of his career and say clearly there is a good coach there and other elements and say is, is his heart really in the coaching um like you said you know he's kind of more associated with with, with the dakar rally in recent years and so it's a big risk and maybe marseille are at the stage where um that that's what they need they just need to do something different because by being marseille and by going for this kind of looking for this Messiah, like you know, the big name like Michel, or a name like Garcia, who's done everything in France and did quite well abroad. It, it wasn't really working out for them. And maybe they do need to try something different. So in that sense, it's not very Marseille-like. But going for someone who's a relatively well-known name but doesn't necessarily have anything behind it in the hope that that's going to just make everything okay is does smack of, su- of some of the mistakes they've made in the past. And the, the bottom line, as Rich said, is that if they can't bring in the right players, which is going to be difficult for them to do um, with the, the relative financial restraints that they've got, or they will we'll touch on a couple of transfers soon, if they can get some of the money that's being suggested for some players, then they'll be better off than I would have thought they would be. If they can't bring in these players, and certainly if they can't get all the decision makers sort of pushing in the same direction and it doesn't really matter who's coach because they're, they're not going to have anything to work with yeah it's going to be fascinating i think this one this season and it, it does feel very 
boomer bust, and I think that makes what makes it exciting for us uh, uh, of the neutral variety, but maybe not so much of the for the mows of the world at least. Anyway, he might be a little <laughs> bit worried. Uh, let's go on to our uh, transfer rumours then, because there's been plenty happening. Some confirmed, some half confirmed, some still well within the air. But we'll go round and discuss them. And uh, we're going to start. Rich, with the one that was kind of broken <laughs> earlier today. Uh, no one has actually confirmed it, but uh, Didier Deschamps has let loose that um, Ferland Mendy is pretty much on his way to Real Madrid. He said there earlier that he, from two years, it's gone from Ligue 2 to, to now Real Madrid. And uh, no one's confirmed that from either club yet, but that's <laughs> the national manager may be letting um, some news that's going to happen next week or later this week at least anyway slip um, it's a big move for him he's a great player we know how great he's been he's been it was in the GFFN uh, team of the year and, and has a tremendous uh, background he's going to be a player that France are going to use a lot and is he someone capable of being the replacement to Martello who has been admittedly terrific for Real Madrid for, for a number of years um, I think so. Um, I mean, I, I I speak as someone who was never Marcelo's biggest fan, so maybe I'm not the most objective here. But you know, we 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 all know what a terrific player Ferland Mendy is. Um, he's made, as Deschamps himself said, such huge strides in such a short space of time. You know, he was obviously great for Le Havre. Um, Leon bought him. He was excellent last season. Maybe a little rash one or two times in in terms of his defending. He's worked on that. I don't think that's as much of a problem this season. He's had another really solid season. Um, you know, he's looked far more comfortable when it comes to defending. Adds a lot in terms of going forward. Very very keen to 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 to, to move uh, to move forward. Um, you know, the way that Leon play means that he's often having to do the job of two pretty much two players at times down that left wing. So it's not surprising that a team like Real Madrid have come in for him. Um, you know, Olas is never going to turn down an offer of, I mean, it's it's looking close to 50 million euros for him. There's not a chance in hell Olas will turn that down. You know, he joined from Le Havre for 5 million and in the space of two seasons, they've turned him into a 50 million euro player. Um, yeah, it's fantastic business for Leon, and they can obviously use that money to to bring in a replacement because they are going to need a replacement because they really are, uh, you know, they, there's not much there in terms of left back options. So, you know, who they bring in there will be will be interesting. But Real Madrid will be getting a fantastic left back. You know, he'll he'll be there for you know five six seasons comfortably. Um, I think he'll 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 make that transition from. Uh, from Marcelo, very smoothly. Um, it's clear that Zidane is a big, big fan of his. Um, you know, he's made that progression into the French team in the last 12 months. He's not looked particularly phased at international level. So, you know, he's a, he's an excellent player. And as we've seen with other players, you know, fullbacks have suddenly become hugely in demand and the money that you're getting for them is, you know, it's, it, it's borderline ridiculous. So, um, as I say, it's a deal that Leon are never going to turn down. Um, it hopefully from from a from a league and fans perspective means that they won't have to you know sell quite as many players. Um, you know, we, we want to see Janino being given and, and Silvino being given as much a opportunity as possible to make a success in their first season. And and key to that, of course, is is maintaining as many players as possible. Whether it also means 
the knock-on effect, I suppose, is what happens with Ndombele. You know, he's made some noises recently that, you know, his departure is not a foregone conclusion, that he'd be he'd be more than happy to stay. Ultimately, there's there's Champions League football with, with Leon next season. So it, it, I think it's going to be interesting to see, well, what, does that mean that, that he will stay? You know, if, of course, if he stays, that's obviously a huge positive for, for, for Leon. I don't think they necessarily anticipated getting... 50 million coming in for another player other than Ndombele this summer. So the fact that they have, you know, you would hope from a Leon perspective might mean that there's less of a rush, less of a of a need to cash in on in uh, cash in on Ndombele this summer. Mm, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that um that knocks onto the rest of the transfers that we're expecting given that Olas was not going to give everyone out of the way at least anyway, but one Potentially incoming, um, Adam, that's hit the waves in the, the last couple of uh, a week or so that's really got some stirring is involves Marseille as well because they're possibly looking to sell players where they can. And supposedly Luis Gustavo is one that's interesting. Leon, it's uh, one of the stranger links so far, at least. Anyway, it's, it's difficult to go across that dividing line as, as Matthew Valbuena would detest, even though he took a, a detour elsewhere before joining Leon. But is it really a transfer you could see happening? Um, I would have said no originally. You're absolutely right. It, it is a, it is, it is a, a line you don't really, uh, you sort of very reluctantly cross. And, and I suppose, I mean, it's just because of the furore that it creates. Um, and the, the relationship that Gustavo has with the Marseille fans, and, and you know, he they adopted him really pretty quickly as a bit of a sort of cult hero. And he had a brilliant season last season. Um, this season hasn't been anywhere near as good. It hasn't struggled at centre back when they've played him there. I still think he's been pretty decent in midfield, but perhaps not the not quite the the, the presence he was last year. Um, and I, I don't know how that he sort of goes back on that relationship that he's he himself has has admitted with the with the, the Marseille fans is, is you know something something quite special to go to go to Lyon and the, the rivalry those two teams have not just generally but these two sets of players have over the last few years with the scuffles in the tunnel at the end of last season with that Mar- Marcelo holding up his shirt to the to the to the crowd and and the the, the scuffle in the tunnel both um out of Ramy and all that involved I don't, I don't know how that he goes from one side to the other but I think now perhaps it makes a little bit more sense given the Brazilian influence at Leon that's that's developed there over the last couple of months with uh, Janinho coming back as obviously a sporting director as we discussed before and and Silvino as manager. Um, th- those 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 guys will have have some sort of relationship I would imagine and I, I can I can see there being some sort of partnership between the three of them. Gustavo, so I still think got a lot to offer Leon. Would would slot in nicely in in that midfield in various in, in various positions in various roles, um, and perhaps wouldn't expect to start, but be a really good presence off the field as well. So it makes sense from from a sporting point of view, I suppose, from Leon's point of view. Uh, but beyond that, I, I I'm struggling, but I I'm coming around to the idea given given the Brazilian contingent. I can see why they want him. I can see why it would be a partnership that work. But I I still would be surprised if it went through. Yeah, it does seem like a unlikely one. And we're going to flick through a couple of these now. And, and Jez, I, I thought I'd give you one that's sort of been confirmed in terms of at least moving on. And that's um, the one I mentioned in the news about Gianluigi Buffon not staying on at Paris Saint-Germain. This makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I think I think it definitely does. Um, it was always going to be 
a little bit of a risk when he came in and, and there was a kind of one-year contract with the option to extend which suggested that maybe no one was entirely sure how it was going to work out um i think uh, i i don't think it's possible for someone like buffon not to benefit things behind the scenes i mean he's you know it's such a great keeper of great experience that he surely has helped the keepers out um generally such a, a great man in football that he must have done his bit to, to pass on his experience to a lot of the players there but the bottom line is that in terms of goalkeeping performances I, I just don't i don't think he was good enough and as we seem to say so often so much with psg has to be judged just based on champions league and, and the bottom line is that he more than anyone else i guess was 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 at fault in that uh, infamous man united match um and i think just the time has come uh, not necessarily for him to retire but i don't think he is that top level goalkeeper anymore and what what i'd like to say is that Ariola absolutely is and um you know it's really time for psg to, to back him and make him the undisputed number one but there's so many rumors about kevin trapp coming in and maybe being a joint number one again keila navas coming in that, that that still seems to be um a point of debate at psg which which is mystifying to me you know there are psg fans who who aren't convinced about Ariola, but uh, first of all I, I you ask them to point to any particular matches or particular mistakes and they struggle to and secondly i think any goalkeeper who's undermined and, and not able to to have a consistent full season run in goal is always going to struggle if they're not able to build that week in week out relationship and trust with their defenders um so uh, to me it's it's mystifying that they're not sort of putting their eggs in the Ariola basket if that makes sense um and yeah for, as, as far as Buffon goes it's been it's been great to have him in French football for a year as I said I think he probably has benefited PSG a little bit behind the scenes but just from a playing point of view I don't think it was a success a successful season and, and I think it's right that he should be moving on yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the point sometimes, isn't it? That he, he's obviously a great man and a, has been a terrific goalkeeper, but it's maybe time for him, who, if reports are believed, maybe to even sit on the Barcelona bench. Um, let's just flick through a couple of these um, just before we uh, move on a little bit. It's some really interesting ones going through. I'll start with you, Rich, on, on Morgan Sanson. He's been linked by the number of English clubs, believed to be about €35 million, Euro, um, sort of offer they're looking at, at least anyway. Um Possibly a good move if he goes to the Premier League. Um, I think it's an excellent move for Marseille. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, thirty-five million for for Sanson. You know, it's it's a bit of a payday treat, I think, for Marseille. Um, Morgan Sanson, I, I feel, has been a slightly frustrating player. I think we all know and can recognise on his day, he's a really talented midfielder. Um, he's just struggled. Now, maybe that's to do with. With his surroundings, you know, he was he was such an excellent player at, at Montpellier. Has moved to Marseille, and you know, for 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 a number of potential reasons, the move hasn't perhaps necessarily developed him where he should have got to. Um, you know, he's a he's a quality player. Um, maybe a move to the Premier League, to the right Premier League team, and surrounding him with with you know really good players, and and that that Wolves team. Really does feel like a 
a midfield that he could prosper in. Um, I think the only the only fear is, you know, is he is he going to be up for the the uh, the physicality of the Premier League? Um, you know that that's that's something that maybe he has to come with a little bit of time and experience playing in that league. But um, you know, I I could see certainly see Mars. I mean, by by all accounts, Marseille are actively trying to to sell him and move him on to to certainly Premier League teams who who can afford that kind of that kind of money. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him go. But I think he may needs to for his own for his own good and for his own development needs to make sure that that's a move to the right Premier League team. Yeah, that's going to be the interesting bit on that one. Um, Adam, in terms of actually an incoming for Marseille, they've been linked with Roma striker Patrick Schick, who's had a pretty good couple of days, at least anyway, in terms of internationally, if not great at Roma this season. That breakout campaign at Sampdoria, but hasn't done an enormous amount much. Is that kind of right risk in terms of striker for them, a player that's young, that has scored goals, uh, previously at a decent rate and someone that they maybe can sell on if it doesn't quite work out to the level they want? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. It depends on on the fee, I think, because he's obviously a talented player. He was really good at Sampdoria in that season and was expected to kick on at Roma, as you mentioned, and, and hasn't. And he's had a really up and down time. You know, even this season, he's been really up and down. Didn't start any of the last six games of the season, only got off the bench twice. Um, and then was in and out of the team throughout the course of the season and Jekko being injured a little bit and Under was injured for a while as well. Perotti has suffered injuries for a lot of the season. So he's kind of been filling in and he definitely isn't, I don't think his future is at Roma. You know, I, I don't see him assuming that, you know, Jekko's 33 now. I don't see him slotting into that that role as a central striker anytime soon. And I don't think he's necessarily proven to the club that he has the quality to do so in the, in the near future. And, a move to somewhere like Marseille is obviously a slight to set down for Roma. He needs game time. He needs he needs he needs service. He needs to be in a position where he can he can re-establish himself. At, at 23 years old, he's at a period in his career where he doesn't want to be sitting on a bench, albeit like at a good team. Um, he wants to be wants to be starting and wants to be proving himself. And he's got the quality to do that based on that year at those that, that spell at Sampdoria where he really was fantastic and really good finisher. Um, and potentially a really good goal scorer. Um, so my, if if he sort of slots in in the void left by Balotelli, I think that would be a, a good move for Marseille. And and given the, the the quality that he potentially has, it would be it would be a worthwhile move, assuming they can get him for a for a for a relatively, if, assuming it's a permanent transfer for a relatively, I don't want to say cheap, but for a, a manageable fee, that would be a, a good move for for all concerned. I think. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that one develops uh uh, just go back to uh to psg briefly and um i'm gonna stick with just the uh the interesting outs i suppose in terms of rabio situation has sort of fluxed in the last couple of weeks because the rumors of leonardo coming back and and tero herrick supposedly leaving in if that was to come to pass and potentially rabio might even stay he's been linked with manchester united he's been linked with um everton surprisingly given that um the previous ones of barcelona and turning down tottenham has been too much of a step down but uh, it feels like this one might drag and drag it could do and it shouldn't do and then rabio is kind of destroying his own career at the moment it feels um and if he if some of the rumors about him backtracking and, and sort of reopening the door to psg are true um 
I, mean, I, I actually don't think it's the worst idea in the world for, for either side, but I think those, those bridges are probably well and truly burnt now. And a little bit like what I said about Ariola, I feel like there's a bit of revisionism from, from PSG fans who, uh, as far as I'm concerned, Rabio very rarely let PSG down. I think he was very consistent for them, particularly in the Champions League when lots of other players went completely missing. And, um, you know, as, as Tuchel clearly acknowledged, um, they really could have done with him at times this season, but clearly the 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 um, the relationship now is so poisonous, and, and um, that even Leonardo, with all his skills, I doubt would be able to to resurrect that unless Rabiot sort of grabbed a hat trick in his first match next season for PSG. I just I just can't see uh, the fans sort of accepting it anymore. Um, so the the question is where where he moves on to and. Again, it, is, it can't be in dispute, even though PSG, even PSG fans suggested that he wasn't always great for them, but potentially Rabio is a fantastic midfielder. Um, he's just, he, or whether it's his fault or his mum's fault, whatever, it's, it's, they've, you know, they, they've scored a big own goal by, by kind of making it more about non-football matters. But if he can find the right move and be happy and play to his best, then whoever brings him in has got a fantastic midfielder but the problem is that the attitude is making other teams think of the attitude and the salary demands are making other teams think again and he's he said that spurs weren't big enough for him um it might not be popular but i I agree personally that spurs aren't a big club but the fact is they're Champions League finalists who are qualifying most years now for the Champions League. So in that sense, I don't know what else he wants. United are a bigger name, but aren't in the Champions League at the moment. Everton would be lovely, but I think it seems very unlikely. Barcelona, that that fire sort of very quickly burnt out. So he, he's running out of options and he's basically wasted uh, a year of his career already. And Unless something changes drastically soon, he may well find himself without a club coming into August, which would be a massive pity because we're all sort of, you know, as neutrals, we're all being robbed of, of seeing a very good footballer as France fans, possibly a, another midfielder come in. As, as we said earlier, there aren't, we have midfielders, but you know, he's one of those players, I know he doesn't like that position, that, but who could play the slightly more defensive Kante role. And he's he's not pushing on. He's not making himself one of those contenders. Um, again, he shot himself in the foot in terms of the whole World Cup squad thing. But while he's not playing, he's certainly not close to the squad. And it's just a pity that um, due to probably bad advice and maybe you know, he has to take some of the blame himself as well. He's he's destroying what could and should be a really good career. Mm, yes sort of a fascinating story that's going to go on and on and there's going to be plenty of transfer news to keep your ears to the ground on at GFFN this summer do make sure you're following us on Twitter because there's going to be plenty to go on um, that's almost all we've got time for but uh, our editor-in-chief Christian Nuri will be, is joining us uh, this evening with a, a, I suppose a little bit of an announcement you wanted to do Christian um, I'll let you take the floor <laughs> more than anything rather than giving much more intro well guys hi thank you uh, for, for having me Nathan um, as some of you know, tonight marks Nathan's final show as host of Get French Football News podcast. And I wanted to jump on, on, on behalf of all of us, to thank him for such incredible dedication and, and for spreading 
his love for French football with all of you at home. We will announce his replacement with, with a heavy heart shortly, but I would be remiss not to say a few words about the magnitude of, of his contribution. Because in six years, Nathan's dulcet tones have been heard around the globe by over 500,000 people. And it's that mixture of wit from the introductions and conclusions that he brings, the insight and, and that desire to bring you the narratives that drive French football that have made him such a pleasure to listen to for over half a decade. Especially in a football climate where French football is at the moment at times ridiculed for its one-club dominance, for the sort of derisory Farmers League narrative and more. Nathan, I've always found you to have cut through the noise and, and, and bring those weekly ongoings of, of French football and that's educated and changed the minds of many about the league. So whilst the mission to get French football news will always be restricted in a bit, uh, in a bit of a way by the niche reality of its subject matter, it could not exist as it does today without contributions uh, of the size and magnitude of Nathan. And so don't worry, guys at home, Nathan will still be with us next season coming on as a guest from time to time. And I'm sure we all look forward to that. But Nathan, in the meantime, best of luck with everything uh, else. And, and thanks again. And obviously, I, of course, leave it for you to, to close it all out. Yeah, absolutely. It's been terrific these last five years and the, the last what, 300 odd uh, programs that we've done from the main show to the the, uh, the midweek uh, um, previews to the Mercato shows that we've, we've done several years, as well as the World Cup show as well. Um, it's been a really great time. I've thoroughly enjoyed um, hosting. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed bringing myself to you at home that have been listening uh, to everyone that, that has been on the show to everyone that's been a pretty much a mainstay over the past few years. I'm thinking of uh, Eric and Philip at the start, uh, the preview show when we started with Adam and we've had Sam on there and Tom as, as regular guests, as well as Peter and Rob and, and Rich and Jez themselves as well. It's, it's been really, really terrific. I've, I've really enjoyed my, my time and uh, it's uh, on to, Passage new in terms of at least uh, not being able to host anymore, but at least I won't be completely gone. I'll, I'll be able to come on from time to time, and I'm, I'm thoroughly looking forward to that and uh, still sharing my thoughts and doing everything else. But that's all that we have time for this week. Again, my thanks to Rich, Jez, Adam, and all of you uh, listening at home. Um, obviously, like I mentioned, I will be coming on from time to time, so do not fear. This won't might not be the last time you hear my voice. So it's it's not an au revoir really it's more of a see you soon and on that note a bientôt and goodbye